Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, we love Burger King Grilled Dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. Mm. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. This is Daniel Guru, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I wanted to do an episode of The Eliminated on the Oklahoma City Thunder and was absolutely thrilled at the people that I got to come on. First, we have ESPN's Royce Young. He's also the proprietor of DailyThunder.com, one of my favorite writers anywhere on the internet and somebody who knows the Thunder really well. And also got Ed Mazinette, friend of the show, been on, very knowledgeable Oklahoma City Thunder fan from Oklahoma, also writes for the Sports Fan Journal and Slam Online. And it's was so much fun to have both of them on. They're recorded together to go through the Thunder because they're a team that has a lot together but also has a lot of questions still to answer and so we go into what they need to do in the short term to get better what their long-term outlook is going to be how the draft affected that and potential targets for them in free agency and with the trade exception that they still have for Kevin Martin until shortly after the moratorium so it was about a 40-minute conversation it was an absolute pleasure to have them on and I hope you enjoy it okay well thank you guys both so much for coming on thank you I want to start with what I think is the biggest question with this Oklahoma City Thunder team, and we'll start with Royce, and that's how far do you think that this front office is willing to go to maximize the remaining years of Kevin Durant's contract? And if you were in the same position that Sam Presti's in, would you be, do the same? Well, that, I mean, that's a complicated question, and, and, and it's the question everybody's asking, of course, is that you know, 2016 looms large, and everything the Thunder do it's kind of within the context of that because what's the point of Sam Presti's plan if you don't have Kevin Durant? I mean, it all kind of falls apart on you. But at the same time, if you're being at it from Sam Presti's perspective, not just kind of typical you know, media or fan perspective, he's looking at it as 
he's operating basically under the assumption that, of course, he's going to re-sign Kevin Bryant, so he kind of has to have his ducks in a row for when that happens. So the way that Presti has constructed his roster, it's not that he constructed it to have Kevin Bryant for eight seasons. He's constructed it to have Kevin Bryant for 18 seasons. And so I, I think it's, in some ways people like to compare it to, you know, LeBron and Cleveland, that, you know, LeBron couldn't get his title one in Cleveland, so therefore he had to leave to do it. But I think that, that that whole thing was a lot more complicated because LeBron in Cleveland, he was able to look at the roster that was being put together by Danny Ferry, and there was a limited window that they were going to have. They, you know, they, they basically were bringing in veteran players. There was no youth. Um, there was really no future with that roster. And so LeBron, you know, even if the Cavs, I think, had won a title in LeBron's last season, he may have left anyway because there was not much sustainability with that, with that kind of team. So to answer your question long-windedly, <laughs> I don't think Stan Presti cares too much about the supposed closing window under his contract. I don't think that he's letting that influence any decision he makes, quite honestly. I guess this is where I inter- inter- intercede because uh, Royce definitely knocked a lot of it out. I think the interesting thing is that, look, man, they've got their three cornerstones, and the three cornerstones aren't changing anytime soon. So at this point, Stan Presti's like, okay, look, we know what we need. We need versatile big men. We need guys that can shoot threes and play defense. And for the last season and a half, they've largely missed on having those guys on the roster, but they have enough money where they can go and maybe get one or two of those guys, or they can swing for the fences and try to get a guy at at that full five, six million dollar range and see if they can get a solid guy to maybe take a pay cut and say, hey, look, I want to come try to win win a title here. I will admit that some of the names that I saw them um, link to, I'm not necessarily the most excited about. Um, even guys like Mike Miller, like it probably would have behooved Oklahoma City to get Mike Miller to come last year. Mike Miller shunned Oklahoma City last year, went to Memphis, and he almost killed us last year. Um, <laughs> but we're at a we're at a position now where like I don't know if I necessarily want Mike Miller for another deal and maybe having to give him three years. I don't know exactly how old Mike Miller is off the top of my head, but I think there are some other uh, intriguing options out there. I think everybody's looking at Ariza, uh, but I think Ariza might be a little bit out of our league. Um, I thought Jody Meeks was going to be a great option. Then I saw he got $6 million a year, and then I laughed my my um, my my belly off. So, you know, I I think the market is going to be really interesting because I think there's there has there has never been a bigger premium for shooters like there are in the current day NBA. And Oklahoma City is going to have to pay for it. And they might end up spending 5 or 6 million dollars on somebody like Anthony Morrow. And as an Oklahoma City fan, I, that doesn't sound great, but I would be pleased because like they need shooters in the worst way possible. Yeah, I think that you both bring up a really important point, which is that Oklahoma City has a better young core than, if you want to say, Cleveland ever did, and that they have all those guys that are together, and it certainly appears that they enjoy playing with one another. So to have that as a foundation, they're adding more support pieces as opposed to adding foundational pieces. Right? Yeah, exactly. And and I think that you know one thing to add to, to what Ed was saying, um, and he makes a great point about it, is that look how volatile the free agent market is. You know, I mean, it's everybody you can sit here and you can you can circle names that you think that Thunder could maybe target and everybody was doing that in the thirtieth. Then you start seeing what some of these guys are getting. I mean, ben Gordon got reported nine million over two years today. And that's a guy that has <laughs> played two hundred minutes over the last two years. And for Oklahoma City I think that Sam Presti is looking at the free agent market that, you know, they're operating kind of from a position of strength. You know, I mean they 
they can they can be selective because they've kind of earned that right to do so. And whenever they kind of want to go out and find people, and I agree with that, like, you know, Anthony Moore would be a fit. They need a shooter. They need somebody um, to space the floor um, and give Durant some options. But at the same time, the pieces that, that the Thunder already have are the things that 29 other teams are not 29, but, you know, 24 other teams are looking for. The Thunder already have a superstar. They also have another superstar in Russell Westbrook. They have a shot-blocking big man that can step out and knock down a three. And then they have a, an electric bench option in Reggie Jackson. So if they didn't have those things, then of course they'd be shopping for them. But, you know, right now they're, they're kind of trying to fill out the exterior pieces, the, the shooters, the three and D guy, the versatile big man that can stretch the floor and give you different lineup options. They're already a very, very good team. So like I said, they kind of have the ability to be overly selective and not bite into those, you know, five dollar contracts that some of these other guys are getting. They're able to kind of step back and say, look, we're willing to give you two and a half million and that's going to fit into our long-term plan. And you can come or you don't have to, but we don't feel like we're, we're, we're forced into having to sign somebody. Right. And it's also interesting to note, if you think about what Presti and that Oklahoma City organization has done, and we have to remember, this this is a coach, I mean, excuse me, this is a general manager that comes from a Spurs system. And the one thing the Spurs don't do, and it's something that Oklahoma City hasn't done, is they're not eager to sign free agents. They're not beating down the doors of top people. They'll entertain conversations, but I don't think they've ever been the type to go attack free agency because what do we know about free agency it is a it is a period where people overspend what a player's real value is and just like they do in the draft normally what they do in free agency is they allow the free agency to kind of come to them in many respects and i think you'll see a situation where oklahoma city is probably going to lay low and they're going to say what can we get the most bang for our buck in this free agency period i could see them finding a way to get Brandon Rush on a two-year deal for, like, $3 million. And, like, Brandon Rush, two, three years ago on Golden State, was a very key contributor to that to that squad. And, like, you know, he's been injured. He's dealt with some injury issues. He was basically in Siberia at Utah. Kind of fell off the face of the earth. But he's 28 years old, and he does everything that Oklahoma City needs him to do. He plays defense. He shoots, th- shoots threes. And he's the type of guy that I think – Oklahoma City is at least going to circle and say, let's see what the market does and see if we can get him to come to us in regards to, to free agency. So, And we also have to remember one other thing, that this team has presently constructed. We might be looking at a Miami-Oklahoma City finals if Serge Ibaka doesn't hurt his knee. So Miami and Oklahoma City are in these similar points, like if – two or three things break differently, we might be having a totally different conversation about them. And Oklahoma City could be in a position to say, we're really good. We don't need much. And let's be very efficient and thoughtful about how we spend this $6 million that's sitting in Clay Bennett's wallet. The other tactical advantage that Oklahoma City has in the very short term is that they can use some or all of Kevin Martin's trade exception, the exception they got a year ago almost, mm-hmm. that if we're talking about how this market is, is overinflated, and I agree with that. I think that it definitely is. And there could be a team like, let's say, the New Orleans Pelicans that are looking to move a guy that could be the right fit who's on even the benefit of having a shorter term contract remaining. So maybe you can get somebody like that and then be able to pick up whoever comes comes by the wayside at, when all is said and done, you know, later in the free agency process. Yeah, and Ed brought this up just a second ago, and, and he's talking about how Sam Presti uses that you look at the Presti's free agent history, and he has basically just completely resisted you know, testing the market with players. I mean, he signed C.J. Miles to an offer sheet in 2008. He signed Derek Fisher three different times. 
Uh, we signed Ron <laughs> Butler after a buyout. He signed Manon Kristich back in December of 2000. So, I mean, he, he, you know, I think he's total signed, not counting 10-day contracts, I think eight guys or eight different contracts. So, you know, Presti really avoids it. And the reason for it is because once the market kind of sets itself, then, you know, you're not competing against these other teams. So you bring up the trade exception. And, and that's it's kind of the area that Presti likes to kind of make his money is that through the draft and through trades within that, having the assets to make those trades. And because you can pick and choose then the contract that you already like, you're not competing against anybody else. And somebody's, you know, driving up that price, you know, like for instance, Pau Gasol was linked to Oklahoma city and he's supposed to meet with the team this week. But the problem with that is, is that, you know, the leverage of, of Gasol coming and meeting with a team like the Thunder, a big name team, a contender, you know, that can ramp up the interest of, you know, the Golden State Warriors, and all of a sudden the Warriors are saying, well, we can't let this all go to Oklahoma City, so we have to give them this. And Presti is trying to avoid those situations. So by using something like his trade exception, which, you know, was a very, very savvy move to, to create that for a guy that was essentially walking away from you, now he can kind of escape the league and kind of pick and choose a contract that he likes, a player that he thinks can help, and not be forced into the kind of competitive volatile market that is free agency. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And I'd actually be even interested to hear Danny's thoughts, because I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit when you talked about the Pelicans, because I'll admit, of the three of us, I am the least knowledgeable when it comes to trade exceptions and things like that, but I have a general idea of how they work. But do you think there are certain players in particular because I that, that Oklahoma City would be able to target? Because I would assume they'd want a type of player that's on maybe that has a year remaining on their deal and someone that they could maybe bring in to use that trade exception and the amount of money that they have remaining to say, okay, look, we can help help each other with this one year opportunity. Is that, I assume, how it works? Yeah, that pretty much is how it works. So the the challenging thing, and Royce got into a really interesting part about this, which is that a trade exception is the way of acquiring the player, but you can theoretically send something, uh, an asset of some form in return for doing that. So it is a little bit less less of a having to be a dumping ground, because that's how some people think of a trade exception is, oh, you know, you have to take somebody the other team doesn't want. That's not necessarily true. The other team has to agree to the trade, just like any other trade. I don't have my Excel up, sadly enough, but I, and I can pull it up, but I think that Morrow is definitely an interesting option. I think that he's a good fit. Also, I, I think he's a little too far from contributing, but if anybody could get something out of Austin Rivers, that would definitely be an option. But what you're looking for is a team that has players that they like, but just doesn't really have the space financially or in playing time for those guys. Royce, do you have anybody that, that makes sense to you? Yeah, you know, and that's, and that's, like you said, Danny, I mean, that's the whole point of the trade exception, right, is that you, know, you look at, the, at what the Denver Nuggets were able to do with Aaron Aflalo, which I think that's a player the Thunder would have been jumping to go get, but he was making $7.5 million and the Thunder had a $6.5 million trade exception, so he didn't fit within that. But, yeah, all you've got to do is, is essentially you're absorbing that player into that tra- trade exception, and, you know, you can either give them an international prospect that, you know, you're never going to see, you know, some guy that you picked in 2004 in the second round that you have the rights to, or you can give them a second-round pick. So, I mean, you're not you're, – you're basically just allowing that team to unload a contract and player that they don't want. So, I think that what the Thunder would be looking for – and you could use it, I believe, for a sign-and-trade, too. So, you know, if there was a player – you know, a guy that I thought might fit into it, but he actually supposedly signed with the Pacers today was C.J. Miles – you know, I, I, that, that's one of the ways that I think that Oklahoma City could kind of at least utilize the asset that they've created. Okay, so we'll we'll move on quickly to the draft. Now the draft has already happened, and I wanted to, we'll start with Ed. I just wanted your thoughts on what they ended up doing and how you think they're going to fit in with this team. 
to me, it felt like the, the Oklahoma City Thunder used the NBA draft as their version of free agency. And it felt like just by watching the draft, they immediately tried to replace Nick Collison and Tabo Cephalosha in the draft. I don't think that my, okay, let's take a step back. My personal feelings are that I wish we would have traded up and maybe tried to acquire a young shooter, someone like a Gary Harris, who I thought was right there for the taking, and we probably could have drafted a, got up a couple of spots higher to go get a player like that. Um, someone who could probably step in immediately and challenge Jeremy Lamb for the two-guard starting spot, in my own opinion. But I don't really have any qualms with McGarry, who I think in an earlier draft, he or maybe a year later, he probably goes top 15. I think in this draft, he's a, tw- he's a number 21 pick. And a lot of people believe Oklahoma City reached for McGarry at 21 because the word out on the street is, is that Presti promised McGarry he'd take him if he was there at 21. So I get the politic in that. And as far as Houston is, is concerned, Josh Houston, it did feel like another reach, but Oklahoma City rarely misses, and I think that's the one thing a lot of people have taken into consideration. They don't miss often, and if they believe that Josh Hustis, a guy who apparently they've been watching for three years, can be a guy to be Kawhi Leonard Jr., or at least someone who can be a lot of the things that Tabo Cephalosha was, then you've got to be excited about that. Now, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him and Roberson because they're kind of the same player. It'll be interesting to see if they use Roberson to maybe become a two-guard instead of playing the three, but Roberson can't shoot for anything, um, so that's a bit of a concern. And my Cincinnati roots tell me, and my people back in Cincinnati tell me that Samaj Christian is a player. He's actually very Reggie Jackson-like in um, the way he plays point guard. So at the very least, if he can stick on the roster, he can probably be a third point guard. So I just think I'm kind of, eh, we'll wait and see as far as this draft is concerned because I don't think anybody expects these three players to do much of anything for the roster unless they're playing immediately in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, I would say this, too, in that, you know, with with terms of Thunder, you know, a lot of people looked at the draft and they circled the needs that the Thunder had on the roster: shooting guard, wing defender, and even really they needed they needed big man interior help because, like Ed said, Eugene was going to turn 34 this this fall, and he had arthroscopic knee surgery in the off season, and eventually they're going to need some frontline depth behind Sir Baca. So, you know, I think that people saw you got you got to find an impact player. That was the big thing that they and everybody say, find an impact player. But if you look at the, the history of the draft, what the draft is for this is for bad teams to improve themselves and for good teams to hopefully continue to stay good. And there's not a whole lot of history over the past 10, 15 years of finding impact players for contending level teams. There's a couple examples. Kawhi Leonard, obviously, in 2013, you know, started 64 games for the Spurs, that's a, that's a good example. He, he came in and made a difference on a very good team. Morris Cole in 2012, played backup point guard for the Heat. Or even Steven Adams last year. He was an impact rookie, a guy that came in and played big minutes for a contending level team. But for the most part, if you're a contender, it's because you already have a roster that's mostly filled out and you don't have a place for these guys to step in and play. So, you know, I don't – I look at the Spurs draft history – I think it's an equity comparison to the Thunder. Their last three first-round picks before they took Kyle Anderson this year was a guy named John Livio Charles, who who is is playing overseas still. They took Corey Joseph. Um, they took James Anderson, 20th overall. The two years before that, they took George Hill, 26th overall, and they took Tiago Splitter in 2007, 28th overall. 
Dorsell became obviously a very good player and an asset to, to trade and acquire Kawhi Leonard. Tiago Splitter is now their starting center. So it takes time for you to, to turn those players into something. So, you know, everybody may look at Mitch McGarry and he may spend time in Tulsa next season or sit on the end of the bench and think, what a waste of pick. They should have drafted somebody that could help him. Four years from now, who knows? He could be Oklahoma City's starting center and um, every bit the player Tiago Splitter is. So you, you can never tell with, with the draft. And I think evaluating it right away um, is just simply kind of unfair to some of these kids. Agreed. Yeah, it, it definitely is unfair. And I think especially when you're picking in the 20s, there are two kind of models that you can go after. One is you can go after the guy who's probably a more immediate contributor who might have a lower ceiling. And then the other one would be a player who might be a little bit farther away but could get up there. And you see that in the examples that Royce pointed out. And I was sitting there for a while. I'm somebody who, who followed him a little bit. And I really like the fit of Clint Capella theoretically with the Thunder. But the problem with that is Clint Capella is probably not going to be ready to play much value for the Oklahoma City Thunder for a couple of years. So you're making a trade-off there. And as much as teams make mistakes in the draft, and we all know that they do, generally speaking, even in a great draft, if a guy falls down to 21, they're not going to be this world beater. You know, even as great as Kawhi was, he fell to 15. That's still not in the 20s. And there were teams that were interested in him, you know, in, in the top 10 picks. It's just kind of lucky circumstances. So I think that what was interesting about what the Thunder did is that they they got guys who made sense with where it looks like their team is going to be now and where their team should be in, let's say, three to four years that might even be closer to peaking then, especially McGarry. Yeah, and I'd add this, too, about about Josh Houston. Let me add this. And Ed brought it up. that I think where that pick kind of threw everybody for a loop is that it felt like they drafted him last season with Andre Robertson. I mean, it felt like – it was the same kind of guy, a guy with length, a guy that can defend but doesn't have much offensive ability. And then the other thing about Houston that's a little bit confusing is the guy was a four-year player at Stanford. He's 22 years older, I think maybe 23. He's going to turn 23 this summer. And basically we've been told already that he's going to spend most of the next in, in D-League with Tulsa. So, you know, you've you've taken this player that, you know, it's not like he's, he's a guy that they see with upside and potential – but, you know, by the time maybe he's a contributor, he's going to be 26 years old. So, you know, they love Houston. They love what he's about. He's, he's, a, he's a really well-spoken, highly intelligent player um, with a ton of athletic ability. Um, but at the same time, you do, you do – it is tough not to wonder, you know, the players that were available at that, at that point. You know, you've got a kid that's going to maybe help you in three years. Sure, he might be able to. But you also have Andre Robertson, who may be able to do the same thing, and then you've kind of compressed yourself. So you know, I'm, I'm completely willing to wait and see on Josh Eustis, but at the same time, I, I can understand a little of the confusion right now. We already talked a little bit about it, but looking at the current team, and so we've already talked about some of the potential free agents, what do you guys think about the players that are already on the roster that are coming up, let's say most notably Tabo Sefalosha, and their potential future with the franchise? I'll defer to Royce on this one. <laughs> um, I would say uh, with, uh, with Tomo, he's gone. I, I don't think there's any chance that, that he's going to resign. I think that what he's looking for is is outside of what the Thunder are comfortable paying out, especially with having guys behind him that they feel capable of playing. You know, you look at Thunder Robertson last year, started 16 games for the Thunder in place of, of Thomas Stephanos. A lot of people don't realize that, but that rookie player that everybody couldn't believe that the Thunder wasted the pick on 26 overall started 16 games for him. And with him on the floor, the Thunder allowed 99 points per 100 possessions. They were a very solid defensive team. Um, they didn't really experience much drop-off. Christie's actually cited this before, and I think it's a really good one. Last season, the Thunder won 92% of their games when they allowed 102 points per 100 possessions or less. 
So, you know, a lot of people focus on offense for the Thunder. You know, what are they doing in the half court? What do they need to do? A lot of the stats bear out, and I think that this is kind of speaks to Presti's decision-making, that they very, feel very committed defensively, that, they, that they're going to have enough offense that they can play elite-level defense consistently. And so I think with Tombo, he's just outside the pressure. I think he's gone. Obviously, Derek Fisher's gone because he's the coach in the New York Knicks, and I don't think there's much chance at all Ron Butler uh, is going to re-sign with the Thunder. I think he was he's quite honestly a little bit ticked about his uh, DNP in the final game against the Spurs. And, um, you know, at, for exit interviews, he didn't even show up. Um, so I think that uh, he's <laughs> too. That's interesting. It's interesting to hear that about Roberson. And, and, like, you would see him in spurts and you would forget about him on the court. But I think it was a good way that you would forget about him because – he was out there playing defense. He was playing mistake-free basketball, and they weren't really asking him to do anything offensively, and that's okay because he's a rookie or he uh, or he's a year-two player. I apologize. And the thing is with guys like that is if they ever develop any ability to be a corner three-point shooter or an, abil- any, an ability to finish at the rim, their value grows exponentially to the team. And we've seen guys uh, – Danny, you and I have seen out here in California what a difference improving a three-point shot can do for a player like Draymond Green, who now Draymond Green is like maybe a slightly below average three-point shooter at this point, but he's a slightly below three-point shooter who can guard the three and the four and at some cases maybe a five, and he can play 35 minutes a game. And he's probably going to be – um, you know, if they ever trade David Lee at Golden State, he's probably going to start. And at the end, they feel very comfortable playing him at the fourth quarter. So if I'm Andre Roberson or if I'm Josh Eustace, I've got to be excited at the thought that, hey, if I can just be a competent offensive player and give anything, and I know that I'm a great defender and I can prove myself to be a defender in the, in the NBA – that my future is going to look very, very bright on a team that has Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and Serge Ibaka. Um, and I think that's Presti's ultimate dream is that, hey, I can get guys like Lamb, Roberson, and and Houston to be 3 and D type guys because I think that's what he's shooting for. And I don't know if Lamb's ever going to be the type of guy that's going to play great defense, but he's willing, and that's half the battle. Um, and I think the, the jury is going to be out on Lamb in the next couple of months when the season starts is where are we going with this guy? Because if it doesn't pan out, then I could see him getting packaged um, at some point um, during, the, during the course of the trade deadline next season. The way that I think about it in terms of those fringy offensive players is that I, I categorize offensive guys into, th- into three places. They're either o- offensively independent players, and the Thunder already have those guys. They have Kevin Durant, they have Russell Westbrook. That's fine. Then there are guys who are dependent, and so that is a guy like Draymond Green, as Ed said. You know, guys who need other players to do it, but they can, they can do something if they get the ball. And then there are negatives who are people who, you know, even if they're open, you're probably not going to want them shooting it. And so... What the Thunder need is they need at least one of those guys to move from the negative or kind of a neutral category in, into that secondary positive role. Because if they do that, when you have guys like Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, you're fine. That's all you need. You don't need them to run the offense. You don't need them to be the engine or the straw that's your string. All you need them to be able to do is have somebody who, if they're open, they can make it so the other teams don't leave them alone because then they, that puts more attention on Durant and Westbrook. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of the struggle that the Thunder found themselves in for a lot of the later half of the season and in the postseason, and that's why they made the starting lineup changes 
both against Memphis and then against the Spurs putting Reggie Jackson in it, is that they had two negatives in the starting lineup on the offensive. Kendrick Perkins obviously is a is a huge negative offensively. Um, and Thomas Lucian, who shot 40% from three um, the last two seasons, was hurt all of this season. Maybe he was pressing because it was a contract year, um, but he had a miserable shooting season um, and, and wasn't even doing the things off the ball, cutting to the basket, finishing in transition. So, you know, essentially the Thunder had – you know, Westbrook and Durant, and, and I would put Serge Ibaka in the dependent category, like you're saying, because he's a guy that the Thunder don't really run plays for, but obviously he's a threat on the offensive end, spaces the floor very well at the elbows, they can pick and pop. So, you know, I think that what the Thunder can look at now, Stephen Adams is, I, in my opinion, he's going to be a terrific player. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a 20 and 10 guy or anything like that. He's a finisher, he's got good feet, um, he, he can catch the ball. I think he's, he's solid in the pick and roll. So I think that you could take. One of those negatives in Kendrick Perkins, I don't know if Stephen Adams would start at that position, but you know you can play him more and more, and all of a sudden you have a center that is a threat on the offensive end. You can look for those baseline dunks when he's in a dunk spot, and you know all of a sudden you've got a guy that, that opposing defenders are not just completely sacking off of and not worried about. If you want to play Mark Gasol would defend Kendrick Perkins, it was a sense, essentially five on four out there because Gasol would completely ignore him, and you can't do that with Stephen Adams. So I think, you know, it's on some of those other players like Robertson or whoever it might be. Perry Jones even started a few games as a shooting guard last year. It's on those guys to become the type of players where, you know, opposing defense just don't ignore them. I have a question for Royce. It's something that perked my ears, and you'll notice that I just used a pun there. But there was something that came across my Twitter timeline, I'd say about a week ago, and there was this conversation about the Miami Heat looking at Kendrick Perkins. Now, I just assumed that that was a smokescreen to, I don't know, I don't even know why that would be a smokescreen, but I just thought it was utterly hilarious. But, like, it was something that people really talked about. Is that, are people really targeting Kendrick Perkins at all um, for a trade acquisition, or are they just giving Thunder fans false hope? Uh, yeah, here's the thing about Perk, and for as easy as he is, um, he's an easy target. Um, it's easy to pick on him. But to most teams in the league, they see the value that he does have. And I think that more than anything, a lot of the criticism Kendrick Perkins has found himself with is more on Scott Brooks and less on him. Right. Um, I think it's about Scott Brooks misusing him, miscasting him, um, resisting to, to flex on certain lineups. And, you know, I, I think Brooks began to kind of discover those things as the season went along. You know, you look at Perk's minutes by season, um, they were he was at a career low this year, um, only averaged about 16 minutes a game. So, you know, I, I think that if you look at, at the way, you know, for instance, Perk played against the Memphis Grizzlies, they don't get past the Grizzlies with Kendrick Perkins. He defended Zach Randolph extremely well and really limited Memphis's offensive half-court options. So, you know, I, you, you look at kind of the landscape in the Eastern Conference, Roy Hibbert, which who knows about Roy Hibbert. Um, <laughs> and then you got Martin Gortat, um, you got Bokeem Noah, you got Al Jefferson, Perk. He can defend the post, and a lot of people see the negatives. They see his, his stat lines. They see him fumble the ball out of bounds. They see him struggle to, to compete on the on the defensive glass, and they, you know, obviously just kind of decide that he's, he's a worthless player. But, I, you know, and then plus you add in the fact that now he's finally an expiring contract, and that makes him have some value. You know, the, the Suns were almost able to acquire Pau Gasol last year for uh, basically a first-round pick, and Emeka Okafor's expiring deal. He was out all of last season with an injury. So expiring deals have value in the NBA. 
And uh, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons I think that you've seen that Dan Presti is so resistant to, to use the amnesty provision on Perk because, you know, why pay a guy to walk away when you feel like you might be able to get something in return? Right. And then let's be clear, like, he, he is good. He is Mr. Combat Boots running up and down the court. Let's, I don't want to get it confused. Like, uh, he, he has his issues, but he is one of the two, three best on-ball big man defenders in the, in the league. I think Sam Presti's done a genius job of drafting his replacement uh, for sure. But it was just, I think it was more so that it was Miami that made the, yeah. um, you know, the overture, so to speak. And, and I do think we're going to be at a point where we would eventually say we're going to miss Perk if he ever moves on. And I would never be, I would actually be under the, oppor- the ever the opportunist to think I'd love to have Perkins back just at a reduced rate because, you know, that $9 billion is a pretty heavy price tag. But it's funny when that came across. I've never seen so many Oklahoma City Thunder fans think that this was going to be the end of Kendrick Perkins in Oklahoma <laughs> City, and it just – and I don't know if it's going to happen or not. And I didn't mean Maybe to Maybe it was just impressive trying to sabotage the heat. Maybe that's all it was. Maybe that's all it was. <laughs> yeah. The other Kendrick Perkins thing, and Ed and I talked about this, so Ed, I'll let you answer to give Royce some time to think about it, is I I was talking with Ed just as somebody who covers the Warriors and thinking about the possibility of Kendrick Perkins being used to acquire somebody who was on a cheaper contract but for a longer term. We were talking in the context of Kevin Martin, who is a very divisive player, but would you be okay with using it in that way? So you not unloading him necessarily, but getting a player who's a little bit cheaper but with a longer-term contract, because some other teams will want to make that trade-off right now with how much money they want on off the books for 2015. Well, it's definitely an interesting proposition because, look, man, like, look at what we're talking about right now with Oklahoma City. This is what makes the podcast compelling. If Serge Ibaka's knee doesn't give out, or, uh, yeah, his bone in his knee, tendon in his knee, excuse me, we might be talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder as NBA world champions right now. That, that I mean, we're not that far off. We, we have to remember, like, this is how close this team has been. And who knows what would have happened last year if Westbrook isn't hurt. And three years ago, we know what happened three years ago. So, like, they're right on the cusp. So it, it it is compelling to think about bringing Kevin Martin back. And I think Kevin Martin probably got a bad rap for the things that happened while he was here because um, I think he did much more good than bad. But he was, number one, he's not James Harden. Uh, number two, he, he just got that look on his face that sometimes, like, dude, like, do you really care about being here? Like, you know, and I'm not saying that that's how he, how he is. I actually would think it is the exact opposite. I think he probably thoroughly enjoyed his time in Oklahoma City. But, you know, but he's also – and you somebody would have to remind me to what he just signed his new contract to. But I believe he got $7 million a year, and I think that would actually be a big concern for Oklahoma City to take a, essentially $21, 22000000 million and him being the fourth big contract on that roster when I think they probably could go and either just give that money to Reggie Jackson. Uh, Cause I think Reggie Jackson is probably going to earn that fourth nice size contract on that roster, especially when Kendrick Perkins, money comes off. So Kendrick Perkins money is basically going to shift to Reggie. Um, so to answer the question, it does sound tempting when you first asked me, but now that I've had time to think about it, I think they would probably pass and see if they can go get a short-term option to facilitate the same type of role. Yeah, yeah, and I'd add to that, too, that you know, I think Thunder are really reluctant to extend anything long-term to basically anybody outside the organization. I agree with that. You know, I think Reggie Jackson is a priority, and you, know, you look at 
due to the free agent market right now with Gordon Hayward possibly getting a max deal. If Gordon Hayward's going to get a max deal, Richie Jackson's going to get one or get really close to it. And um, I think the Thunder are probably a little bit fearful for him to get to restricted free agency. Uh, I assume that they probably want to get him locked up and extend him this summer just because they need him within the rotation. So, you know, I, I think overall, extending out anything long-term, anything over three years, four years, you know, that's past the 2016 mark. Um, and I, I think the Thunder want to have a pretty good understanding of, of who they are and what their roster needs are in 2016 when Kevin Durant's contract comes up. So I, I don't think that the Thunder are going to be very comfortable bringing in anybody that could potentially be a, a bad contract um, in 2016. I think they kind of want to have the text cleared as much as possible. That's totally fair. And the last main thing that I wanted to ask both of you, and something I've asked in all of these podcasts, is I refer to it as the timetable of contention, which for the Thunder is actually interesting because they're pretty much there already. But the question for the Thunders, if if you think they are already at their peak, and please let me know if you do not think they are, but how long would you expect with the players that they have right now that they will be at this level? Go ahead, Ed. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Royce. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I'd rather you go first. To be honest, I, I, I look at this. They have a five- to seven-year window. I think if you're talking about this team is presently constructed, and if they look at especially Westbrook and Durant as those two guys being the guys, I don't see why. I think, I think Royce made a very excellent point. Sam Presti, Clay Bennett, and Oklahoma City Thunder leadership, they're not looking at this as what are we doing for the next two to three years. They're looking at this like what are we doing for the next 12 to 13 years. And I don't think they assume that those two guys are going to leave anytime soon. That's not saying that it couldn't happen, but that's the way that they're planning this out. And I think Ibaka, they're in the same boat with him. What will be fascinating is – and. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take this conversation there. God bless my my brother Kenny Masenda because he knows this is what he wants me to do. But I think they are going to remember what happened when Oklahoma was playing Notre Dame, and the Oklahoma City Thunder just slid in that little tidbit to the news cycle that they were not going to be able to resign James Harden, and they traded him to the Houston Rockets for picks and they were unable to amicably come to an agreement to keep all four players there. And I think what you'll see moving forward is, especially with what's happening right now in Miami again, is will Katie, Russ, and Ibaka, and anybody else that's there, will they say, are we still about trying to get our money, or are we really trying to build a dynasty in Oklahoma City, because some people believe we the dynasty should have already begun in Oklahoma City, depending on who you talk to. Uh, but you know, the basketball gods, you know, decided that somebody's knee was going to go out the last two years. So you know, if KD and Russ are looking at the situation and saying, when our contracts are up, do we need to go get that full max again? And can we maybe shave a few million so that we can bring in another elite player? you know, to add to this roster that they already have um, and so that everybody can get their money. And, yes, if it does sound like collusion, it is collusion. But guess what? 
the owners are performing collusion every day with that thing called a salary cap so that they can make money um, as well. So, like, it's a two-way street, and I think NBA players more than ever are being very savvy with what, with what they're doing with their contracts because they realize what the end goal is. It is to get them rings. Now, they're not going to sacrifice that just and go broke at doing it, but you can hear some of those conversations already being had. The, the NBA Players Association are already telling people, like, hey, stack some money away because we're probably going to be in a lockout in a few years. And who knows what's going to happen with the salary cap when the new TV deal happens. So I'm to answer your question, I just went on a rant. I apologize. But this is a 10- to 12-year plan. And I think Oklahoma City's Oklahoma City has to be prepared to think of this in a long-term vision, and that has to be led by two people and two people only. It can only be led by Kevin Durant and Russell, Russell Westbrook, and the decisions that they make long-term, it will send waves through the entire organization and in the league. Yeah, I, I think that if you look at, at, at the way Thunder have constructed themselves, you know, they've already been an elite contender for basically the last four seasons. And so you know, they've put four seasons of top-level contendership in their pocket. I think that they have another 10, 12 years left in them, quite honestly. I think, and I wrote about this recently, but, you know, you look at the, the stretch that the San Antonio Spurs have enjoyed. It's basically 16 seasons, 17 seasons of top level, the ability to contend for a title every single season for, for more than 15 years. And um, I don't see any reason why the Thunder, if, if, if like Ed spoke to you, if, if the players are willing to buy in and continue to buy in, why wouldn't they be able to enjoy that type of success? I mean, they've, they've already got the, the, the hard parts done. They've got uh, a superstar, a co-superstar, and they've got a role player that, that fills an incredible need, Serge Ibaka. So, and, and this is the big reason that it's such a polarizing issue. It's understandable and understandably so, but you know there isn't a, a window closing or a clock ticking, and that's just, that's just not the perspective of the organization because they they don't have 2015 circles because they can't operate that way. They they especially when you're in a small market like Oklahoma City, you can't necessarily just expect that people are going to want to come play here because of the zip code, like they do in New York City or or LA or Chicago or Miami, and they have to prepare for that. You know, if if you put a bad team on the floor in Oklahoma City in in 2018, fans are probably going to stop coming. And as good as they've been, um, you cannot rely on you know, the emotional passion of a small town to just continue to sustain you. You have to have a good team on the floor. And, you know, we've seen that all over the league in, in you know, Milwaukee and Sacramento and, and other other smaller markets that have struggled with attendance and, and revenue because they not have very good teams. And that's that's what the Thunder are doing their best to prevent against. And um, I, I think that if, if they continue to, to shape the roster the way it is and the players continue to buy in, I don't see any reason why they can't. You know, I don't even know if they're going to win a title in that in that period of time. I I have no idea, uh, but I think that they're going to have a chance to for the next 12 years. Yeah, and that gets into what I think is the huge question with every individual player now, and I think that we learn a lot about these people as individuals with what they do on their third contract, because the first contract is set, the second contract is based on where you are, and that's a restricted free agency. We're learning from Gordon Hayward. It can be a little bit weird, but that is what it is. But with the third contract, you find out what a guy wants. And if they want money, that's fine. If they want to win, that's fine. And that's what the Thunder will have to look at because, if they, as, as you guys both said, if they can get together and say, we want to win, we want to stay here, they have, a, they have a window that might not close for a long time. 
But if one or more of them says, I want something else, then that changes things very, very quickly. And the hope for Thunder fans, and as somebody who isn't as connected with it, is that they're on the same page before then, because you want to make sure that everybody's there, because once the first decision's made, you want to make sure everybody's on board. Agreed. Are there any other uh, topics that you guys would like to share with the listeners or with each other? The one thing I'm interested to see is will Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, uh, maybe even Reggie Jackson, will they participate in the uh, FIBA World Cup and the workouts? Because Kevin Durant and Westbrook in particular, and I believe on that on that team that Jeff Green – God, I'm, this is getting this is how old we are now. But Jeff Green and James Harden were all working out with Coach K on that team, and it'll be interesting to see if any of them decide to go, and if somebody like Reggie Jackson, if he were to get an invite, of course he's going to go. But it it, it was it was impressive to see the type of growth they took when they did that trip to play in the FIBA World Championships, now known as the FIBA World Cup, and it'll be interesting to see if those those players go again. Yeah, I think that's definitely good. Well, thank you guys both so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure having you on. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Thanks again to both of my guests. I had so much fun having them on. First up, we have Royce Young. You can read Royce at ESPN.com. You can read him at DailyThunder.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Royce Young. That's R-O-Y-C-E-Y-O-U-N-G. Ed Mazinet, you can read him at Sports Fan Journal, SB Nation, Slam Online, Great writer, really talented guy, and you can also follow him on Twitter at EdTheSportsFan, E-D-T-H-E-S-P-O-R-T-S-F-A-N. It's an absolute pleasure having them on, really enjoyed the conversation, and thank you all for listening. I hope to do a couple more of the Eliminated, we'll see what I can get in terms of guests. There are some people that I've talked to and we're trying to figure out a time, but as you know, the summer changes the dynamics a little bit, and it's harder to talk about what a team will do and you more analysis of what they already have done, and... I'm already working on a battle plan for how to really recap the summer. Should have a couple of guests to do preview stuff and review the draft as the weeks come on. And as always, if you have any insight, anything you want to contribute to make the show better, you can always hit me up on Twitter at D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. Or you can shoot me an email, daniel.larue at realgm.com. Whichever way you send it, I will read it. I will respond if I can. And I really do appreciate it because... Even though we've been doing this a little while, it always helps to make the show better, and I really do appreciate it, and it helps make it helps make the product, and that's really what this is about, is making something that you want to listen to and that you enjoy, because no matter what, I'm going to have fun doing it. It's so much, such a pleasure to do. So you can reach out if you want to do that, and keep on listening, and thanks, take care, and make it a great day. you don't go to geico.com car insurance can seem intense like breakup r&b intense i thought you said you love the sweater that i got you 
makes it easy. Just go to geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift.